If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is unlike any I've ever done. In the past, I've done special episodes regarding active missing persons, but they are usually only about 15 minutes long, just sharing the known information in hopes of helping the family. In today's case, one member of the family reached out to me. The other side of the family isn't speaking to the missing person, and that family drama has only added to the chaos surrounding the disappearance of Shane Barton. Today, I'll be sharing the audio interview I conducted with Shane's daughters and the emailed responses from Rachel, his wife. Hopefully, with all of the available information presented together, someone will come forward with information about Shane's location. On March 9th of this year, a post was made to Facebook. It read, This is extremely hard to post, but you will be seeing it or hearing about it. Shane is missing. He has been missing since this morning. We have looked everywhere. He has no phone or wallet with him. The sheriff department has come and taken our information. Our marriage is fine. We have no ideas or clues as to what happened. Please, if you have any info, please call 911 or text me or call 360. That post was made by Rachel Barton, the person who first contacted us about Shane. The peculiar message was followed up by my request for posters I could share. There is a lot to unpack with this case, so I want to start with some disclaimers. I am here to share information, not my opinion. There are no accusations, speculations, or allegations being made. I will let the women speak for themselves because the only thing that matters about any of this is putting the energy into finding Shane. I made several attempts throughout the spring and summer to have a conversation with Rachel via Zoom, but every time it came time to speak, she canceled. She was finally willing to answer my questions via email, and Emily was kind enough to read Rachel's answers for me, so I will be putting her answers in along with Shane's daughters, who I interviewed back in May. I tried very hard to condense this story down to the circumstances surrounding Shane's disappearance, but it does seem that since the family feud is the focus of the family members, some of it must be pertinent in regards to what transpired around the time Shane went missing. All of the information shared has come from these three women and the Facebook groups they run. As is customary when we work with family members, we sent the edited version of the episode to Brianne, Brandy, and Rachel to make sure they were content with what was being shared. 
Rachel took issue with much of what was said by the other parties, and this has been the most difficult part of this episode. It isn't my place to pick sides or choose who is telling the truth or not, or to decide what is worthy of being shared. I'm being provided information. I'm sharing the information for the greater good. Who am I to tell these daughters what can or can't be said about their father? I have no way to prove or disprove anything they or Rachel have shared with us. After many conversations with Rachel, I gave her four options to try to make it work for everyone. I could put a disclaimer at the top saying that she denounces the episode. I could edit her portions from the episode and only have the story come from the perspective of Brienne and Brandy. I could read a statement of her rebuttal at the end, or we could schedule a time to have a conversation and that information could be shared in a follow-up episode. She refused to agree to any of those options. In those conversations, it was brought to my attention that I may have missed some details that have been provided to the public by the police. I made multiple requests to clarify what information I hadn't shared, as that is the point, the whole goal of this episode. But my requests for that information went ignored. Josh was kind enough to go through the episode on his own and remove accusatory or muddy language to keep the story as clear and balanced as possible. I hope that that is the case, and more than anything, I hope it helps to bring Shane home safely. On March 9th, 54-year-old Shane Barton disappeared from his home in Rochester, Washington, leaving behind his phone, wallet, keys, and a gun, but another gun was missing. Rochester is located in our oft-mentioned favorite place, Thurston County. It's located about halfway between Olympia on the Sound and Centralia to the south. This is the same location Karen Bodine's body was located from Emily's case, The System Failed Her, and home to other questionable cases. So I have a feeling the investigation of Shane's disappearance needs to be watched closely. In an effort to find their father, I spoke with Shane's daughters, Brianne and Brandy. Before we get into the details, I'll have them share some of their family's background. I started out by sharing how, through all of our missing person cases and True Crime Tuesday segments, I had never seen any family not only so focused on, but almost solely focused on, this whole don't-talk-to-them attitude, as opposed to being concerned about their loved one. My intention with the questions or presentation of this case was never to paint blame on anyone. It is to present the information, and hopefully by sharing their answers, those who care about Shane can maybe put together searches or look for clues instead of going after each other. I spent a lot of time editing this episode. It's about a missing person, so it should only be about that information, right? But these women all have stories to share, and they want to be heard, so I should provide them that platform, right? but it is a very delicate and odd situation. This is an active case, and I have no interest in being involved in the family drama, but it seems like some of the information may be related to the case, possibly. You know that joke about people on Dateline always being described as lighting up a room? Yeah, this is kind of the opposite of that. And I just want to note that his daughters were being interviewed via Zoom, so as always, be patient and you might hear a baby. During my time speaking with Brienne and Brandy, neither of them made judgments regarding anyone's choices, housing, or finances. They understand that times are tough for everyone, and being financially unstable or living in a certain style home does not make one guilty of anything or a bad person. There were times, they said, that Shane had attempted to reconnect with them, occasions of slipping his daughter's gas money as long as they didn't tell Rachel. 
There were other times that Shane was reactive and emotional towards the girls. An example they gave was when he saw one of their cars had tires that needed to be replaced. And instead of a calm, you know, hey, go get that fixed, it was more of a, I can't believe you're driving like this, or even redirecting that frustration towards the daughter's partner. How could you not protect my daughter kind of thing? But they interpreted that as his frustration towards himself for having let their relationships fail to become what he had hoped to have with his children. Rachel says she and Shane started dating in March of 2001 and married in October of 2007. When they started dating, their relationship overlapped with some of the time he was with his ex-wife, and that was when Rachel got pregnant with their first baby. Brienne and Brandy had an understanding that Rachel was already pregnant, but Shane stepped up into that father role. I asked his daughters about the possibility of him taking his own life. As someone who has known several people who have lost that battle, his daughter Brandy knows you can never say never. Sometimes the person you least expect to be struggling is the one doing so. She also doesn't want to think that that is how her father chose to leave this earth. She recognizes she didn't know everything about his life because of their estrangement, so who knows what he was dealing with. Shane was, according to his girls, the safety police when it came to his guns and being careful. He had been in bad accidents and had even seen deaths in his racing career, so safety of any kind was of utmost importance. They never had to keep his guns away from him out of concern for his own safety or mental health. As of September 2023, Shane's is an ongoing and active case. Information shared has been provided by the family members of Shane or from multiple Facebook groups. Questions I asked of Rachel came from topics brought up from interviewing Shane's children or from what I found online. Some of her answers have been edited for clarification and because Emily was reading, so we know how that goes. Additionally, the girls' interviews are also edited, but none of the context was changed. The names of children and others involved have been censored. I want to reiterate that anything said about anyone else or about the case is the opinion of Brandy, Brianne, or Rachel, not the show or myself. I kind of made a post about it yesterday in regards to the drama and the back and forth because, I mean, obviously it's like an, a situation that sucks and nobody ever wants to go through, but it's also a situation that nobody will understand unless they've been in it or are currently going through it. And what the public eye really doesn't understand in regards to the drama is this is the only way Rachel has ever acted in any relationship that she has ever had. We've seen it with like her previous employers, her friends, um, my dad's friends, anybody that they've ever gone into business with. So the drama for us is nothing new, which is why I think that we're when people say, oh, the drama, the drama, we're just kind of having like a blind eye to that because to us, it's normal. I mean, we have had to defend ourselves to this woman for 22 years. So when people say, oh my gosh, we've never seen this much drama and back and forth, we get it. But our whole lives, we have always had to defend ourselves against the truth in this woman. <laughs> and it's horrible. Like, I feel like I laugh about it because it's probably just like my trauma response, but because it's not funny, but it's, it's nothing new. 
One of the biggest points of contention between the family was that the girls had been estranged from their father for several years. Brienne and Brandy took it upon themselves to hold boundaries, to break the cycle of generational trauma. Here, they explain their relationship. I hadn't had like a steady relationship with our dad since it's been about four years because my daughter just turned, oh my gosh, she just turned six and it was right around her second birthday that I decided to kind of cut ties with my dad. And there's plenty of reasons for that decision. The biggest one was obviously when you raise a child, you want to do better. I feel like that's your duty as a parent is to give your child better than what you had. And I just saw too many similarities in the relationship that my dad's wife had with their two kids and the treatment that my two sisters and I received from our dad and her when we were kids. And that emotional trauma was just not something I wanted to put my, like a situation I wanted to put my daughter in let alone I didn't want her to think that the way that they treat each other was a way that's acceptable to treat other people and the way to just speak to other people. So I, she was just like learning to talk. And I was like, yep, you know, this is, I'm going to scooch away the best I, in a slow pace as I can. And unfortunately, Rachel had picked up on that tension of me not wanting to be as involved. And she read into it as Brandy is just using us for, money for babysitting for anything free and now she's not able to get what she wants and so she's cutting her ties and I was like yep this is exactly why I don't want to have a relationship with this because this is what it goes to it goes to the extreme every single time and my reason as well what I was going through personally in my life was my husband was cheating on me. And not one single time did anybody ask like, Hey, Brandy, what's going on? They just chalked it up to, I was pissed at them and I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was like, you know what? If you can't even care about your daughter enough to recognize these changes, you're not going to care about your granddaughter enough to recognize this. And I don't want somebody that doesn't love her unconditionally in her life. It just, it broke my heart. So I was like, Nope, this is where I cut I cut my ties. And ever since then, I decided to write my dad a letter. I knew I wouldn't be able to get him alone, but like by himself. That's something that we had struggled with ever since we were kids. We never, ever had one-on-one time with our dad. Um, She was always there. So I was like, well, I know I'm not going to be able to get dad by myself. There's going to be too many questions. So I wrote him a letter. And Rachel talks about this letter often to myself, but then online. And I have told her from the very, the first time she ever brought the letter up to me, clearly you have not read this letter at all. If you think that I was in any way disrespectful or mean, I just explained my decision. What I wanted is my relation. I'm probably going to (laughs) cry. What I wanted my relationship to be with my dad in the future And what I wanted my daughter's relationship to be with him in the future, because our grandpa, my mom's dad, he stepped up to raise my sisters and I, and he's been our best friend (laughs) since we were babies. Like our grandpa is just the most amazing person and anybody that knows him, our family, or knows us and hasn't got to know our grandpa, 
they know how he has played the most important role in our lives. He is still to this day, he takes care of us to the best of his ability. And so I wanted that relationship for my daughter with my dad. And I had included that in there. And I closed the letter with a statement that said, until your circumstances change, I have to remove myself from your life. Like I'll be here when you are ready to have these kinds of relationships. I love you. And that was that. And so I hadn't really talked to my dad at all since then. And Brianne, you also had removed yourself from that situation as far as the relationship with your dad? Unfortunately, yes. But he was, you know, concerned of the safety of my kid and myself with my husband and was asking me, kind of could have went a better way about it. But I reassured him, like my husband, you know, never been physically abused or anything like that. And you know, like we're safe. There's been no, you know, like I would remove myself if there was anything that would have indicated us getting hurt. And it just kind of spiraled down from that. And then to, you know, how Brandy mentioned, they help you out, you know, they'll do stuff on their own or as like a surprise, just, they just want to help you, but then they throw it in your face. 100%. My face about when I had asked about you know, I'm like, hey, do you have any like extra, you know, stuff you want done like around the house? I want to, you know, earn some extra money because we, I had just moved out of my mom's with my now husband and everything. And so I wanted to earn extra money. He's like, yeah, you know what? I can help you out with this, but you don't need to do anything. I was like, are you sure? Because I can work it off because I didn't want to like tell him like, well, I don't want it thrown in my face, but it did. And that was, he had pulled me aside and I think you were there, weren't you, Brandy? Yeah, they pulled me aside to their tra- or RV, and I just kind of got up and left and hadn't talked to him since. And I've tried, you know, I'll randomly send texts or like updated pictures just to kind of see, but everything gets left on red and everything like that. And he also wouldn't even talk to me at his first birthday. Yeah, I'm gonna backtrack a little bit on why he wouldn't look at you. He very much so, our dad, very protective, which it's kind of interesting because he was like so protective in so many ways, but then completely absent in so many others. So the reason he was so pissed off at Brianne at my daughter's first birthday party is because he walks up to the house and he walks past Brian's car and he looks at the tread on her tires and he just loses it saying that he couldn't believe that he was letting her, his daughter and granddaughter drive around in a car with tire tread that dangerous. So he interpreted it as like, my daughter's not being taken care of, but it was just weird. Yeah. And it's like in two, and I admitted, I'm like, we don't, sorry. Like I don't look at my tires every time. Like I even told him, like, do you look, do you make a whole 360 check everything before you get into your car every time? And it's like, I just faintly said, I was like, it just, it wasn't something that we checked or we didn't see it, obviously. Some people aren't on top of that kind of stuff. And so I, I understood where he was coming from as the father standpoint, but I did not agree with the way he came about it. Yeah. And it was the week before the Washougal Nationals, which is, Um, My dad, he does dirt bike mechanicing, and 
the Washougal National is like his biggest event. I know that my ex-husband is going to be at this dirt bike event. I wanted to know that my dad would be able to have my back and support me. And he never, he never reached back out. He, my number was blocked from his phone again and just kind of left it at that. And then I randomly saw him at the Gallup Fair last year and I had my daughter and I was like, okay, you know, I have my daughter here. I need to teach her like positive relationships, you know, that just because something happened, life is too short to fully remove somebody from your life. And if you are in a place, you can at least do the right thing. Be the kind person and say hello. So I asked her, mind you, my daughter was only five at the time. I was like, hey, mommy's dad is here at the fair. Do you think that we should go see him? And she was like, well, yeah, that's your dad. And I was like, gosh, dang you little five-year-old you're humbling me like you thank you you know like she put me in my place she was like well yeah mommy we have to he's here (laughs) why would we not and so we went to go see him my daughter loves to have mommy play all the carnival games for her and so I had so many stinking toys my arms were full my purse was full we were like dropping all these darn toys and my dad sees us and he like runs over to one of the booths because my dad makes friends with anybody wherever he goes. And so one of the booths that he was working across from at the fair had a like gift, you know, like those grocery store reusable bags is their little prizes that you could win if you spun their wheel or something. So he just grabs it, gives it to us and like puts all her toys in there. And he was like, oh, asked how she was doing, you know. And so my daughter's like last interaction with my dad was a very, very positive one. So in her mind, you know, he's this nice, kind guy that helped her and, you know, then was like, oh, I miss him. I miss him. I want to have a relationship with my grandpa. And I was like, okay, well, you know, like that's, I think that's definitely something that we should work towards this year. And so it's unfortunate that this happened. And, you know, now that she doesn't have the slightest idea of mommy doesn't know if you can have a relationship with your grandpa anymore because we don't know where he is. That is my, like, that is, that was the last, that was all of the events leading up to the last time I saw my dad. I was leading up to my, or like my reasoning for not having a relationship with my dad and so on and so forth. Brandy said that the tension between herself, her sister, and their stepmother, Rachel, was due to Rachel having issues against the girl's mother. Brandy and Brianne both claim that their mother has never made any negative statement towards Shane post their divorce or against Rachel. In their opinion, it's an issue of transference and projection in regard to the relationships Shane had with his children. I asked all three women to describe the setting of the Barton home. Here was Rachel's response to my following question. Can you tell me about your living situation prior to his disappearance, as in who was living in the home? I know there were unusual sleeping arrangements, so if you could detail who was where. We have a mobile here on our property, but it's only two bedrooms. The two bedrooms are for our two kids. Everything else in the mobile is normal housing. Shane and I live in our RV because we're waiting to purchase a manufactured home that's got enough room. We also have two big dogs that stay in the RV, not all the time, because our property isn't properly fenced and they would run off. Here is how Shane's daughters described it. I don't even know. It's like a double wide that is built off of what looks to be like some sort of like chicken coop or a shed. 
has, it doesn't have any floors. Um, it has like a makeshift kitchen. There is a shop on the property and an RV because it's not a house. Like it's more, I more so a shack is like the best way to describe it. My use of the word unusual there was due to the fact that it was being reported Rachel had been sleeping in her shop with her ill goats. January 15th was the first time she had publicly made a post about the sleeping arrangement. She was in that shop the night Shane disappeared. Here is Rachel's response to my question about that. It's my understanding you had been sleeping in the shop with your goats. How long had that been the arrangement? I was in our shop, it's not a barn, with our goats at night to take care of them so I wasn't waking the dogs and chain up. I got up every two hours to check on the goats. That's why we decided I would just sleep out there. I had a cot in a fireplace. I was there for a few months. What ailments do your goats have? I had two very sick goats. They both weren't expected to make it. One has a cleft palate, so she has trouble eating without food getting into her nostril. One of her nostrils is inside of her mouth. She was small. The other goats had neurological problems, so him being sick, it was hard for him to function. They both got a few parasites. Neither one of them could stand or sit properly to stay alive. I had to make sure they were sitting up correctly. I stayed in there to feed them, make sure they were drinking without drowning in their water, and make sure they didn't fall out of their bedded areas. If a goat gets sick and is down on their side too long, they'll die. They both have been back out with the other goats and stronger than ever for over four months. I did take both to the vet, and that's how I knew what they had and what to do to try to save them. They're my babies. Since January, perhaps consistently or just on and off, your dad's been sleeping in the RV. Rachel's been sleeping in the shop with the goats. Correct. So then we get to the evening of March 8th of what you guys have been told either by authorities or through the grapevine. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of lay out what those 24 hours, what they look like as far as a timeline from when your dad was maybe last seen or, or where it was believed he was seen until finding out or you guys hearing that he was missing? It was probably about... I think he said 5.30, one of his friends came to my dad's house for something and he saw my dad, our dad, and then they had dinner together as a family, my dad, Rachel, and then my dad apparently went to the RV. He said that he was going to come back in and shower. He wanted to leave the light on for him, so did. She heard him come in. They went to bed. Our dad went to the trailer. He was going to come back in to take a shower. This is where it gets a little gray because some people, like there had been a story saying that his bathrobe was still inside, making it look like he didn't take a shower. But then there was, it was also said that his, or that they heard the shower running. So maybe he did take a shower or maybe he started the shower. So supposedly he takes a shower. About what time is this? Between 8, 830. It was mentioned that that's when like one in to go to bed and wave through the window. Good night or something like that. So it's between like 8, 830. Waved out her bedroom window towards the RV. I'm assuming so, but I don't remember specifically saying what, what window is just saying that she waved through a window 
to yep. say goodnight. And that was the last that she's seen of Earth, what I've read and have been told. Here is what I asked Rachel about the 24 hours prior to the disappearance. As it's been reported, you guys hosted a dinner party or had friends over the night before. Who were those people? Was it more of a formal dinner or just a casual hangout? Were there any conversations or behaviors from Shane or anyone that seemed concerning or alarming? On the evening of the 8th, we did not host a dinner party. Shane made dinner for our son, our daughter, our daughter's girlfriend, and us. He does that every night. We were all laughing and having a normal conversation like we did every night, whether it was school, work, plans for the weekend, and so on. There is a debate as to if Shane showered that night or not. Did you see a sign of either? Shane showered twice a day, if not more. He has for the last 22 years. The shower was wet the morning he was missing. His robe was there, the clothes he would wear that day weren't there, and his t-shirt, dirty socks, and underwear from the day before were in the laundry basket. I know what my husband wears. I do the laundry. I understand your daughter waved out of the window to Shane to essentially say goodnight and that that is the last reported sighting. Is that accurate? I saw Shane walking up to the RV, which is located right next to the mobile. Open the kitchen window, as we've done many times, and she'd say goodnight and that she loved him. She also asked him if he was coming back in, so she was going to leave the lights on. He said that he needed to still shower. About what time did you last see Shane or go to bed? I last saw him between 7.30 and 8 p.m. on the evening of the 8th. Now to the morning Shane disappeared. As mentioned, Shane was last seen by his family going to bed in the RV outside their home around 7.30 to 8 p.m. I asked Rachel to walk me through that morning, what she was doing before realizing he was gone. Here was her response. I got up about 7 a.m. and took the girls to school around 7.20 to 7.30 a.m. I went by my daughter's girlfriend's house to drop off belongings around school. They were going there after school. I then dropped them off at the school and drove back to Grand Mound to use the Wi-Fi at Starbucks. The reason I used it there is because we don't have Wi-Fi for our phones at our place. Our son does, but it's for his service and device only. I then got back home around 8 a.m. I went to the RV, as I do every morning, grab both dogs and either walk them in the woods or let them run around with their goats. I let them in with the goats. I would then go to the mobile and eat or back to the shop to check on the goats. I then put the dogs back somewhere close to 8.30 a.m. I never even opened the door to our bedroom in the RV. Since I had been staying in the shop, that's how I did it. Otherwise, when I was in the RV, it was pretty much the same way or then I'd go back to bed or there or whatever I needed to do. Dogs have their own area. From there, I went back to the shop to tend to the goats, clean up their messes, clean up anything else, watch something, or fall back asleep. Shane usually comes into the shop between 9.12 to 11-ish, depending on the night or what we have going on for the day. He works from home. I got up and went to the RV to see if he was in bed, maybe sick or something. But all I found was sleeping dogs and my coffee, two shots fairly hot, with lots of ice but no milk in a 24-ounce clear plastic cup. After that, I went in any and all buildings on our property, drove into the woods with our side-by-side, checked on his belongings, and just continued to look for him. I got in my car, drove down the driveway and into town looking for him, because I wasn't sure. And then to Starbucks again to contact friends to see if they came to pick him up. After paying the bill, I headed back home to continue to look and make phone calls. I asked the girls about their understanding of the events. Again, these are the opinions of Shane's daughters, not murder in the rain. 
did were you told anything as far as her story for what happened that day were you like hey okay walk me through the day to when you realized he was missing did she give any kind of timeline gosh it's gonna sound cold but i didn't i wasn't concerned about her you know like i honestly i wanted like i, I didn't care about what she had to say and so i just had asked like about my questions for dad about like you know what well, where like what was he supposed to do today all that kind of thing and then i know i did ask ask questions about what she had done or where was she or what was she supposed to do for the day and she had mentioned that um well she didn't mention taking the kids to school not that i remember but she mentioned that she was in the shop he was in the trailer and that she found his coffee and that was it but one thing that struck me as really bizarre is I had asked her, I was like, hey, did you call this person? Did you call this person? She's like, no. And then she calls them. Well, every person that she called, she gave a different story to. And I gave Brandy what the story she gave me as she was on her way there to kind of do a comparison because based off her track record with us and, you know, telling stories or like telling different stories, you know, before. This is the news release that was put out by Thurston County Sheriffs. On March 9th, 2023, Stephen Shane Barton's wife reported him missing from his residence in the Rochester area. He left home without his phone, wallet, or vehicle. At the time of the call, deputies searched the residence, outbuildings, and surrounding property and found no signs of Shane. TCSO requested the assistance of Washington State Patrol Aviation. They flew over the property utilizing an FLIR to look for any heat signatures that could be associated with Shane. However, nothing was found. On March 11, 2023, TCSO utilized search and rescue assets to check surrounding property. This nine-hour search included 30 ground searchers and five search dogs. However, no signs of Shane were located. On March 14, 2023, TCSO detectives returned to the address to again thoroughly search the residents, outbuildings, and surrounding property. At this time, dive team personnel searched the ponds on the property to no avail. On April 2, 2023, TCSO utilized search and rescue assets to check the property again, this time utilizing six human remains detection dogs in a seven-hour search. Shane's wife has provided TCSO detectives with Shane's phone and other digital devices. She has also allowed our detectives to process her phone and an adult son's phone for any useful information. Search warrants have been obtained for phone records and other technology. On April 10, 2023, Shane's wife voluntarily took a polygraph examination. The results showed that she was not being deceptive. All of Shane's neighbors have been contacted and detectives have interviewed friends and family from all over Western Washington. My follow-up question was surrounding the coffee, which has been a point of contention for quite a few people. Since there was always ice in the coffee and it hadn't been dissolved by the time it was found, had Shane walked away or been taken just moments before? So I asked if Shane had always made her morning coffee at the same time, around 11.30 a.m. Shane made my coffee somewhere in that time before coming to the shop. The last few mornings, there wasn't any milk in the RV for my coffee. He's made my coffee for the last six-plus years. Shane had a bike shop for over 20 years. It opened every day at 9, and he was always ready to go by then. He had his schedule down. Brandy lived with her dad for a short period when she was in high school. 
Obviously, that was years ago, but when she heard his car was still home at 11.30, it seemed very much out of character. I asked Rachel what the first clue was that she realized Shane was missing and not just off to work or running errands. Well, he worked at our house and all of our vehicles were at home. When it had been gone a few hours and nothing from his friends or him, I was starting to get worried. A concerning item that was not located among Shane's belongings was one of his personal guns. So I asked Rachel when she realized the gun was gone. I knew right away because when I checked his belongings, I noticed his public carry gun was still here. So when I checked for the Woods carry gun, it wasn't here. What were those first few hours like? Were there searches? Were you calling friends? The first few hours and days and months were like a blur, a nightmare, unreal, and everything seemed to be going fast, but I felt like I was stuck in a bubble and can't get out. The police searched right away on our property, 11 acres, and then went to properties around us. I kept in contact with friends because we were all in shock. At what time did you decide things were serious enough to call the police? I sent a message to the sheriff at 3.34 p.m. I wasn't sure what the steps were to going about this. I've seen 24 to 48 hours, and I really thought he was just on a long walk in the woods. I wasn't going to call 911 because at that time I didn't feel like it was an emergency. I felt that the sheriff was doing a great job so far, and I trusted his judgment. So that's why I went right to whom I knew would know what to do. My husband is extremely stubborn, too, so there was that. Were any searches conducted that first day? The three law enforcement personnel that were here did do one, between our property, the neighbor's property, and our personal belongings. I then changed the focus of the questioning to her Facebook post announcing Shane's disappearance. She can't recall the exact time she made that post, just that she made it sometime in the evening, after there were searches, after she made her statements to the police, and after her stepdaughters had been called. And out of my own curiosity, I had to ask why she wanted to mention the state of her marriage in the post. When law enforcement asked me questions, the first thing they asked was, how was your marriage? I later tried to post a long video to Facebook to explain most of this, and it was too long to load. I didn't do a live one because I was in shock, tired, confused, upset, and more. So I quickly did a post to get the point out there. Once it posted that he was missing and the first questions that were asked was, how was our marriage? I got tired of answering long statements, so I said our marriage was fine. Looking back, I wish I would have explained better, but that's not what I was worried about. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. 
Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom or the motherly figure in your life? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about, for example, your mom's life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories forever. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Obviously, we love anything surrounding storytelling. It's what we do. So to be able to gift this to my mom, to not only hear her stories, but the stories of my grandparents and other family members, it will create a cherished gift for all of us to enjoy. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN for 10% off today. Here is what the first day was like for Brandy and Brienne. I found out Thursday night. It was the 9th and it was like, gosh, 8.30, almost like 8.45. And I got a phone call from my little brother. And I was like, oh, this is weird. I'm like, like, why is he calling me this late? So I answered and I was like, hey, bud, what's up? Because he'll call me. I mean, we, prior to this, he and I had a great relationship. And so I answered, I was like, dude, what's up? Like, I haven't talked to you in a while. You know, life's been busy. How you doing? He was like, well, like, I need to tell you something before you find out on social media. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he was like, dad's gone. And I'm like, what do you mean? Dad's gone, like gone, gone. And he was like, no, dad's missing. And I was like, wait, what, what? And then I was like, wait, can I come over? Because I hadn't been to their house in years. Can you ask your mom? Is it okay if I come over? He said, yes, it is. I was like, okay. Send me the address. Um, and he was like, no, 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 you don't, you don't need to come over. You don't need to come over. And I was like, yes, I do. I was like, I need to. I need to come give you a hug. I need to give a hug. Like I need to do my big sister duties right now. Like I'll be there. My map says 35 minutes. I'll see you then. Okay. Then my twin, she got a phone call from our little sister. And then Rachel called Brianne. So it was like kind of like tag teamed it. So it was like one called each of us. And it was all within the same time frame. Yeah, because yeah. I just got home from grocery shopping and I was unloading groceries, dealing with my kids. My husband wasn't home yet. And I look at the 
um, I looked to see who's calling me and it was Rachel. And I was like, okay, I had been thinking about my dad within like the weeks prior. I really hope the next time none of them call, it's going to be something that it's not good. So I answered the phone and it was like almost eight o'clock. It was like 749. When I looked at the clock, I immediately asked her, like, is everything okay? And she said, no. And she was like, calm as a clam, like no emotion. I'm sitting there like, are you sure? Asking her questions. I'm like sobbing at this point because I, you know, not having a relationship. And then this is like the last, like in six years, the only call that I ever get from any of them is this. I was going to go over there, wait till my husband got home. I was going to go over there. She gave me the okay. But then I found out Brandy was going over there. So I was like, you know what? I'll just let one of us go over there, not knowing what the outcome would be. I didn't want, you know, too much chaos or anything with both of us and let her, you know, relate any information. And that kind of just went from there and just, you know, waited, played the waiting game till Brandy was um, done with her visit. Yeah. Cause then, I mean, we called each other right away. Yeah. Like instantly, like we all three called, you know, like Brittany was calling me. I was calling Brianne. I'm trying, I, I called my mom. We have her location like on our phones. So I figured out where she was. She was out to dinner with her girlfriends. She was answering. So I stinking called the restaurant and I was like, thankfully we know the owners of the restaurant. So I was like, Hey Randall, um, I'm, it's Brandy. Can you please just have my mom go answer it? Like, call us like it's an emergency it's a family emergency and she was like oh my god I'm on it and so Randall thank goodness goes and like gets our mom and my mom's like what the heck why did you call Randall and I was like well mom because I tried to call you and you didn't answer and she was freaking out as well you know like not knowing what we were about to go through and that is when this Jerry Springer episode of a disappearance case started and what happened when you got there Some people were there, like an aunt and an uncle were there. And then one of my old childhood friends was there. And then some other two people that I didn't know. And like you said, context is important. And if you know me, you know that if like something like I say it how it is. And if something like whatever my gut tells me, I unfortunately say it. And I don't know, sometimes I forget to think before I speak. Well, these two people were there and I was like, who are you guys? And they were like, out of nowhere, these two people say, well, if you'd been around for the last year, you'd know who we were. And I was like, excuse me, when my, when somebody's dad has been their dad for the last 28 years and your dad is all of a sudden missing and there's these two random people at this house that you've never met before, I kind of feel like I could, like, I can ask who you are they said their names and away they went. And then I go into the house. I I can't say business partners or business associates, but my dad had previously rented or used their property for a shop for his dirt bike mechanic when he was, after he had to move from the house that they got evicted from, he didn't have a shop to work out of. And so he had used their house. Um, It's more so he said, she said situation. If these people had been involved with our dad when he was producing and selling marijuana years ago, but they were there. 
at that point have police been called? They were contacted. Um, Rachel's original contact to the authorities was to the one and only Derek Sanders. And it was via Facebook Messenger. She sent him a message stating what had happened, that her husband had disappeared. She hadn't, you know, she like briefly explained the circumstances and she asked him what he, what she should do. And so he then messaged her and said, you know, you need to report this and like call 911 or whatever. So I'm not sure if she called 911 or if she called the non-emergency to have, you know, like detectives dispatched or a deputy dispatched. But she then did report him missing. Um, It had not been the 24-hour mark yet, but they did come to their house. They had an aerial search done by like the Washington State Patrol plane that has the infrared or heat sensor technology in it that can, you know, like sense people being out in the woods, essentially. They did that because the drones, like I had said before, the drones weren't working at the time. Um, and Brianne, did they have, do- they did have dogs out that night, right? Like I could, the first night, didn't they? I don't know if it was, I think it was the next day is when she had either neighbors or a friend that had dogs in training for SARS or something like that. Or So by the time I had gotten there, the sheriffs had left. And so it was my friend from school, Rachel. And we're all there. And um, my boyfriend as well. And when I say the situation was weird, I I can't even describe the feeling because I was on the, you know, like an emotional high my whole way there. I was thinking, oh my God, like, you know, what happened? I don't want to explain my initial thoughts and my reasonings, but I can guarantee you that more than half of the population probably knows exactly what I'm not saying. I had my first initial thoughts that I did not want to believe were true. And then, you know, every freaking scenario is running through your brain. I'm like, golly, well, you know, I heard dad was involved with these people. You know, dad was involved with these people. He had, you know, he, did he do a dirty business deal? Did every single horrible emotion is like running through my brain and I'm sobbing the whole way there. Cause you're like, holy crap. You know, life is way too short. Why did I not like, why didn't my dad reach back out? Why didn't I reach back out? I was feeling so guilty that my relationship with my dad had not been great. And then, you know, now he's gone. Is he gone for the day? Is he gone for the night? Is he gone for the rest of my life? What kind of gone are we talking about here? So I then just tried to gather as much information as I could. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not gonna make a situation out of nothing being here. Like there's a time and a place for everything. So I just, I asked, you know, I gave like my little brother a hug. I gave my little sister a hug and I just asked as many questions as I could. Like, you know, like, well, what was dad supposed to do today? What was he supposed to do tomorrow? You know, was he supposed to go pick up parts at the parts store? Was he supposed to have like a customer come over? You know, was he going to the store? What, you know, just what I remember of my dad's like daily routines used to be. I was trying to ask like, okay, you know, what, like this, did you call this person? Did you call that person? And they were like, no, no, no. I mean, they hadn't even, Rachel had known specifically what my dad was supposed to do that day and the shop that he was supposed to go to. And she didn't call them to see if he had gone there. 
if the parts that he was supposed to pick up were still there. She didn't call his friends, like his two closest friends. Um, She didn't even call my dad's dad. So I had to call my dad's dad while we were there. And I just told him, I was like, Hey Gramps, you know, like this is going to be posted on social media soon. Um, Unfortunately, I did not know that you were called. It's my fault for assuming that you were called initially. I have no information to give you right now. If something happens within the middle of the night, I will give you a call. If not, I'll call you by like 9am tomorrow to fill you in with the information that I do get tonight. Love you. You know, talk to you later. And you know, his feelings were pretty hurt. He was like, well, when, since when did he go missing? I was like, they haven't seen him since last night. And, you know, so his feelings were hurt that nobody called him to at least say like, Hey, your son's missing. And they didn't have a great relationship, but it was for no reason. You know, it was just kind of like, yeah, it's my dad. I don't have a relationship. It's not like they were, nothing happened. Like he wasn't disowned from the family or anything. You know, they have goats. I'm an animal lover. Rachel had got their first goats you know, kind of like kickstarted her like goat persona is because, was from me, my goats, my horses and my dogs, they couldn't be at our house anymore, because I was living in an apartment. And so I was like, last thing I need to be worried about is getting up to feed the goats. When I say it's like an unexplainable thing, it is an unexplainable situation. Yeah, I came I threw on like the closest shoes that I had. But I brought my dang raincoat and my extra tufts to go search in the woods if they were out searching, but I'm not going to go by myself to go search in these woods on a piece of property that I know nothing of when I don't, you know, they say my dad's armed. Well, what if he's having a mental health crisis and he comes at me, you know, like not knowing who I am. Unfortunately, you know, that was the only search that had been done that day was woodage searches. Like what Brandy was saying, like what was going through her mind was going through my mind. And I was on that emotional high for like a week. And especially going into that weekend when we all met up and did searches and walked for like 10 hours or more you know she did mention like you know they had a family dinner the night before and that was it that was the last time between 8 8 30 is when the last time that she recalls seeing him and that was kind of it and it was kind of like I had to I was the one asking her the questions to see you know what she had done or anything and that's when she's like yeah we you know we had the airplane with you know the heat thing they did come out you know took our statements blah 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 and that was it statements have been made regarding shane's past relationship and how he had supposedly run away before and that could be what was happening here brandy shared more context around that when our parents got divorced you know my mom was like well if you want to leave freaking leave like you know i this is my house i'm not leaving so if you want this to be done so, so my mom went like, you know, she told him that in the morning she went to work and she's like, gosh, dang, I should probably go back home just to double check, you know? So she did. And she, when she noticed that like his overnight bag was gone, she's like, well, he is gone. And back then, I mean, it was 22 years ago, social media and, you know, like technology was just not as strong as it is today. So between our dad's friends, his work, it took my, it took our mom like five days, she said, to like figure out which friends he was staying at. So it's not like when people have said like, oh, he, they just, he disappeared before. He didn't disappear before. He just left his wife and kids. Back to Rachel. I asked her what searches have taken place or if dogs had been brought in. 
March 11th, Search and Rescue did an extremely large area grid search of our property and properties around ours. Personal searches, too many to know exactly how many. I would have to go back and count them all. Dogs were brought in by a former neighbor of mine, and he also brought a friend that trains dogs too. They each had one dog. I didn't ask for them to come. The old neighbor showed up, and I called to ask law enforcement if they could search, and that was okayed. That was on the 10th of March. The 11th, Search and Rescue was here with many dogs. I had another friend come one day with her dog that she had trained to search with us, along with about 20 other people on foot. April 2nd, 2023, Search and Rescue came again and brought cadaver dogs and did a search of our property and other areas. There have been many searches. We've had a few searches scheduled recently, but due to a health reason for me, I had to cancel. The other was, decided by others that at the last minute, not to come. There were many reasons. I have my reasons as to why they decided not to, and that's okay. Many drones were used, but nothing came out of it. Why the woods? Why even bother looking through the woods? The woods was because his, his boots were gone. His coat and his like hunting boots were gone and his gun. And so in her mind, he went into the woods to go look for something that he got scared that he went for a walk and that he got hurt and fell because of his hip. There have been conflicting reports as to if Shane and Rachel had been in contact via their cell phones the last night he was home. First, there were reports that they had been texting or exchanging photos. Then there were reports that texting hadn't taken place. Then it was reported that texting couldn't have happened as the couple's phones were turned off due to a lack of payment. These are the questions I asked Rachel in regard to their phones. Did you and Shane communicate via your phones after going to bed? We did not communicate via phones because our phone service was suspended. But yes, every other night we did. We were very close. Had your phones been turned off that day? And was this due to a lack of payment or for other reasons? Our phones were suspended due to non-payment of an auto-pay arrangement. They tried two times, and after that, it was suspended. The arrangement I had was set up for 323.23, not 3623 or 3823. So the phones were off from 11 to 12-ish on the 8th until a little over 24 hours later. I had to show all of these records to law enforcement. Is it true that the day before Shane disappeared, you were seeking financial assistance from friends via your phone? So the amount that was owed to the phone company wasn't what I thought to be correct. I didn't want to pay over and not get the money back. But I wasn't able to speak to a rep from my phone company. The automatic recording said I had to pay said amount. In order to talk to a person face-to-face, we'd have to drive to the west side of Olympia. Neither one of us liked driving there, and for sure not during rush hour times. Since Shane had a real estate deal in the works, our friend was just going to give me the money, my commission, to pay it but neither of us were in a hurry. The real estate deal was to help a friend sell his property. It was all legal, but it never got any further than to talk to an investor because he went missing. Here is Brandy's understanding of her father's finances. And it as well has been confirmed that my dad was asking other people for um, financial assistance as well. They didn't really give the time frame as to when he was asking. They just confirmed that, yep, your dad has reached out to me before for a decent amount of money. Speaking of phones, it was later learned that on the day Shane disappeared, the Thurston County drones and phone tracing programs were not functioning. 
Now, this is per the report from his daughters. Because of this bizarre coincidence, I felt inclined to ask if Rachel or Shane had any kind of relationship with the police, which would have allowed them to be aware of the technical malfunction. Brianne had initial concerns that it may have been related to Shane's history with weed. Maybe there was a sting going down or something along those lines. Brandy knew Shane had a relationship with some police in the past with their overlapping interest in motorbikes. Here was Rachel's response to those topics. With the phones and drones being down, did Shane have any connections with the police that would have maybe informed him that that was happening? Maybe if he was planning on leaving, he would know it would be a better time to do so as he couldn't have been tracked? No, he's never had contact with police or anything. He would never leave us. How do you feel about how the police have been handling this case? The Thurston County Sheriff's Office is amazing. They've been doing everything they can to search for Shane. Shane's not the only case, and there is a shortage in staff, but they have stayed in contact with me. After Shane went missing, did the police take either of your phones? Law enforcement looked through our phones in person, and then law enforcement detectives took Shane's phone the next day. They went through his phone and then his watch and tablet. Later on, my son and I had our phones gone through. There wasn't anything suspicious or concerning on any device. Exactly what I told the detectives was what they came back with. The girls claimed the police weren't able to take their phones because of the technical issues within the police department. That night, they claim Rachel was texting friends from Shane's phone. They say the phones were not collected for somewhere between four to five days. When they did take them, the police apparently made digital copies of Shane and Rachel's phones. Then I had to ask the question I hate the most because of what it implies. I don't ask it to upset anyone or to be dramatic. I ask because it's relevant to the case and it could matter in the future. Did Shane have any life insurance? Neither one of us have life insurance. He raced dirt bikes. Policies are way too expensive. I had pre-existing health problems that I wasn't allowed to get life insurance. Brandy agreed, saying that her father's love of motorsports of every kind and season had led to him having difficulties finding life insurance because of the dangerous nature of his career and passion. Even if he did, because he is still listed as a missing person, no one could have claimed the money, as he is believed, and we all hope, he is still alive. With that in mind, it cancels out any idea of him running away or faking his disappearance in hopes of alleviating his alleged financial stress. Concerns for Shane surround not only the length of time he has been gone or who he may or may not have been interacting with. In addition to those, there's the idea that if he had gone on a walk in the woods, well, he had had a hip replacement, which could have made it difficult to manage the terrain. So I asked Rachel, I understand Shane had a hip replacement. Did he have any other ailments that he may have struggled with that would have limited his ability to hide in the woods, per se? Shane had a left hip replacement surgery many years ago. His right one was hurting, but never stopped him from doing anything. We were talking about going to our GP to talk and look at the right hip, but I hadn't made an appointment or anything. No, he was very healthy for his age. Here are his daughter's thoughts. He couldn't, you know, couldn't go an X amount of yards or feet, you know, without hurting or he couldn't bend down, whatever. I was at the hospital that night after and he was on pain meds and the whole nine yards. The night after he received hip surgery? No, the day of. Oh, the day. Of. Okay. And I lived right down the road at the time. And so, you know, I was like, you know what? I'll go, you know, make sure he's okay. Cause I've gone to the hospital for 
both, you know, Rachel and our dad, even if we hadn't been really talking or on the best of terms, I still made it to where like, hey, you know, making sure you're okay, whatever. One of many aspects the girls hadn't expected once becoming involved in a disappearance was the amount of people who inserted themselves into the case, people pretending to have information or being mediums. For one example, there was a woman who posted a $5,000 reward paired with her personal number. From what they knew, she was not connected to or involved in the case whatsoever. They didn't know what her motive was for being involved. I asked Rachel about this. Were you ever able to find out who was responsible for the fake tip line phone number? There was never a fake tip line. There was a kind lady that had the means to put up a reward to try to get tips to bring Shane home. She's helped many others, and it's been a success or very helpful. Law enforcement knew about it and has her info. I think there was even contact between them. She stepped away due to the hatred coming from people directly at her. She's very kind. I don't know her, but I know who she is. I first learned of Shane's disappearance from Rachel, who messaged the show via Facebook. She had found us as she was looking up podcasts in hopes of getting coverage and perhaps some assistance as far as what she should do next. Through all of our messages, her primary concern seemed to be that I didn't follow the other Facebook group or talk to or believe anything that her stepdaughters had to say. Though Rachel was the first to reach out, bringing the case to my attention, there was so little information about the case and Shane available, and Rachel was either unable or unwilling to speak with me, I felt I had no choice but to reach out to the other group in an effort to learn what I could. I later reached out to Rachel asking for what information she would like shared on our COIN True Crime Tuesday segment. She wanted me to share that even though Shane had a bad hip, he was strong, tenacious, and not disabled. She shared that he, quote, was a hard worker. He loved his friends and family to the fullest. When it comes to the woods, he's resourceful and knowledgeable. He doesn't, nor has he ever done, sold, or produced drugs. There were no concerning financial obligations or burner phones. The day he went missing, no one else's phone was on their property. He had a great love for his dirt bikes. When it came to his daughters, they hadn't had a relationship between four and seven years, so I was warned that anything they said wasn't going to be true. Rachel feels that their lying is actually keeping people from wanting to get involved in sharing his info and volunteering for searches. Speaking of searches, she mentioned that behind their home, they have 3,800 acres. Within that, there are about 2,000 acres that need searching. At the time of that conversation, she said that they had a search coming up in the near future. Until then, she asks that anyone who has property in the area of Little Rock Road, Sargent Road, 183rd, and K Street check around for any signs of Shane. As for other concerns, she is certain that Shane didn't have depression, he was happy, and their marriage was one of love. Rachel asks that to stay up to date on information, you follow Missing Stephen Shane Barton on Facebook. As I stated earlier, since our first conversation a few months ago, I have made multiple attempts to interview Rachel so that I could get all of the information about Shane and his disappearance. And I've found that often when you're speaking with someone over the phone or via Zoom, details come out that you didn't expect or other questions come up that you hadn't thought of. But we never got to have that conversation because every time an interview was scheduled, Rachel canceled. Eventually, she agreed to have questions emailed to her, which she then answered, and they were read aloud for the episode. 
Looking online, there are a lot of theories, including one that Rachel had texted to someone saying that something may have happened during a nefarious deal gone wrong. Other theories are that Shane disappeared on his own accord to make those people think that he was gone or that he couldn't pay a debt. Maybe he was depressed and had taken his own life, or perhaps that even Rachel was involved to some degree. Even in her own posts, it said a weird deal. So I was curious and I asked, based on Rachel being one of the last people to see him, what does she believe has happened? There was no deal gone wrong. Again, this goes back to the marriage is fine. I was in a hurry and used the incorrect wordage. It should say strange reason. He had no depression. We don't do drugs. We don't owe large amounts of money to people and so on. I believe that he walked into the woods, but at this time, I cannot say what I feel now because of the ongoing investigation. Some think that Shane left on his own. So I asked if he did go into hiding or anything like that. Do you think that with the attention his case is getting, he would be the kind to not come forward and bring some relief to those who love him? No, he's not hiding and he wouldn't do that to us. He's a strong person. Rachel has worked with psychics, which I asked about. We've had psychics and energy readers, but I will not share because of the ongoing investigation. I feel that some things they may have said could be true. As part of the questioning with police, Rachel was brought in for a polygraph. Yes, I can share the experience. I've never been in the police station for questioning ever in my life. I've never seen a polygraph test in real life. It was weird. But they did ask me more than those questions that they showed. But it's to see your reaction to different things. Like to ask you a question that we know is a fact, but I say no to it. And then they'll ask you a lie and you say yes to see how you act. They believe that I'm not lying or withholding anything. But they don't use those words to describe that. The polygraph test paperwork online is the printout from the law enforcement. It's not fake. When people saw Rachel was selling some of Shane's property online, there were questions and perhaps concerns. So I addressed these sales, asking what bike stuff she was selling and why. I also asked if she could see how that could appear strange-looking for those who are still awaiting his return home. First of all, I'm his wife, and that is legally mine too. What I'm selling are the things he wanted to sell already. We haven't used them in a couple of years, or we have so many of that item. It doesn't look strange to me because I don't think like that. Law enforcement knows and has known that I would be selling things because he made most of the money. I'm still waiting on his return. Him and our kids are my everything. I haven't sold anything that would hinder him from working again. I say that because I truly have no idea what happened or where he is. So if he returns, he will not be going right back to work. I'm assuming since there will probably be some mental trauma. Also, the items that are being sold can be replaced. I will never be able to get rid of his personal items. Rachel cannot go into details about her theories because of the ongoing investigation. I did reach out via email and voicemail to the detective working the case, but I never received a reply. I asked the girls their final thoughts on what they felt happened. Again, these are their opinions, not that of Murder in the Rain. My gut feeling now getting into things like knowing more than just you know with no first like 48 hours I don't believe that you know he's dead I I have a feeling he's just in hiding or he just he left and does not want to be found I truly believe as well that people involved know much more than they are letting off and based off what the detectives did say 
and as well as my own thoughts too. I truly believe that my dad is alive and out there. The circumstances for it, I didn't really tell you, but I do not believe that he offed himself because that's, I mean, I know we talked about it. It's something that can't be dismissed, but it's also something that what I know of my dad, I don't think could have happened. I think based off everything else that is involved in this case, that that just doesn't make sense because they would have found a body by now. Why would you want to go do that to yourself, but not have people know about it? I mean, our theories and thoughts change every day, every hour, I feel like based off piece of information that comes out or anything, it's, it's never ending. It's theory about what happened. And if our dad feel like one thing he always said when we were kids was you can't live your life off the what ifs so I keep replaying that in my head too you know I can't leave it on the what ifs of that or the what ifs of this you know it's just got to be it's got to be the facts and so the facts in my book are that he he's alive and he's out there it's just figuring out the who the what the where whether somebody did take him or he's out there on his own will and hiding it's that that's the part that's so hard to figure out I asked Rachel for any information she would like me to share with our listeners so that you guys can help. I do have a GoFundMe, Help Fund to Find Shane Barton. The Facebook page only, Missing Stephen Shane Barton. Shane means everything to me in the world. I cry every day because I miss him so much. He's an amazing man and well-liked. He's been estranged from his older daughters for four to seven years. They truly don't know anything about him. They're guessing and lying because they hate me. Rachel has asked us to make some corrections, so I'm adding this addendum. I don't have any way of proving which side is accurate or not, so I just want to share her information so that everyone can come to their own conclusions. Rachel says that in regards to that first day of searching, the drones weren't used because of the weather, and the phones couldn't be traced because the police would have had to have a warrant to be able to do so, not because they weren't working. Regarding the friends that were supposedly over on March 8th, Rachel says that no friends came over to the house. Instead, Shane had gone to a neighbor's house before coming home and cooking dinner. In regards to initial contact with the police, Rachel says that Sheriff Sanders did not message her back on Facebook. Instead, he called her and suggested that she called the non-emergency line to make a missing persons report. She would also like to make it clear that they do not live in a double-wide mobile home connected to a coop or a shack with no floors. They live in a single-wide mobile that is attached to a two-story addition, and they do have floors, but they are in the process of laying new vinyl on it. Rachel also wanted to add that Shane blocking his daughters from calling was not only his way of setting boundaries with them and their negative behaviors towards him, but it was also his way of setting boundaries due to their accusations about us throwing things in their faces when really we just expected them to help themselves when they were asking us to help them. Being involved in a disappearance so close to their family has opened Brandy and Brianne's eyes to aspects they never anticipated. They aren't allowed to just search, grieve, worry. They have to protect their own families and personal businesses from the Internet. Things they never thought about as added elements to the already monumental stress. As you've heard, there are two Facebook groups regarding Shane. From what I've seen, they are both preoccupied with each other. One posts flyers and takes polls about how people found the group. The other posts screenshots of conversations. There are questions about searches and money. 
It seems chaotic on both ends. Besides the two Facebook pages, you can go to findshanebarton.com. That's F-I-N-D-S-H-A-N-E-B-A-R-T-O-N.com. There you will find links for reporting tips, to look at photos of Shane, and to find out basically all information that's currently available. That page is affiliated with the Find Shane Barton Missing Person page. The relationships between the Barton women don't really matter at this time. What does is that Shane is still missing. One of his daughters just turned 18 without her dad around. His family continues to miss him every day. If something was planned in advance or someone took Shane, perhaps this program will inspire those involved to come forward. Like any case of a murdered or missing person, the louder you are, the more response you will get and more attention will be paid to the case. What's important is clear communication and only the truth being shared. I hope that that is what has happened today, that the truth has been told, and that the focus of the groups and the case will go back to Shane, planning searches, sharing information, and it won't just be about the people surrounding him. Stephen Shane Barton was last seen the evening of March 8, 2023, in Rochester, Washington. At the time, he was 54 years old. He has brown hair, brown eyes, and is 5'8". He is of average build, is often seen wearing a baseball hat, and has a goatee. If you have any information, you can contact the Thurston County Sheriff's Office at 360-704-2740 and you can reference the case 23-1180. If you don't feel comfortable contacting that office, you can always leave an anonymous tip at crimestoppers.com. We offer Shane's entire family and all of his friends our condolences and hope that he is home safe soon. Thank you for listening. say anything oh my gosh sorry I muted it and I couldn't figure out how to <laughs> and she was like calm as a goat was that something that was that something that you weren't <laughs> the words are hard <laughs> oh gosh I'm cleaning your house and somebody's here have you been here the whole time oh my gosh what the heck hi I'm good. How are you? I'm doing an interview. I'm so sorry. Yep, you too. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that is so funny, you guys. That just scared the crap out of you. <laughs> he did. And I, I always come and clean his house and I usually just like show up and his I thought that he was gone. That is so gosh dang funny. And so now he's been listening to this whole conversation. <laughs> oh my lord. He didn't say hi when I got here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> If you know me, this is like 100% on brand for (laughs) Brandy's lifestyle. Anyways. (laughs) Well, and I had both of my AirPods in, so it's like I didn't even hear him. I just kind of like felt the floor a little. Oh, my God. (gasps) That's so scary. (laughs) I don't even know where I'm going with this because I'm still a little in shock that came out of nowhere and scared the crap out of me. Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written, hosted, and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney, and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. 
For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain. And suck my balls. Ha, 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 ha